This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hi, LSPod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! Post for Shearer, goal! McLaughlin has it, oh, deflection, and it's a goal! Comes to Mitchell, it's another goal! Incredible hobble! Swindon Town won. Town throw away yet another late lead in what has been quite the wretched campaign. It's almost over, folks. Hang in there. A draw or a win will be enough next week to take Swindon Town off the Beamish line. But 2022-23 will either be Swindon's joint worst or second worst points haul of the four-tier era. Great. We record this episode on the 135th anniversary of Harold Fleming's birth. wonder what he'd think. Probably just impressed that we're in a nationwide division instead of the regionals. But that's not the point. Joining me for this latest IRO episode and a very happy Harold Fleming day to Terry. Hello, Terry. Hello, Rich. It is now the time to say that I'm a huge advocate of re-regionalising lower league football. Yeah, we, we talked about it on the pods during COVID and it was it was Sign me up. it was trounced, wasn't it, in, in rhetoric, but um I guess it has its pros and cons. Yeah, I think um uh without sort of deliberately shoehorning in an AFC Wimbledon love story story for you. Uh Connor and I had a lovely conversation over breakfast about um whether we would regionalise lower league football and what we would do. And I think the idea of five t- five t- five tiers of twenty, I think we all agree, is probably a good idea. And then re- like regionalizing the bottom two of those, just just 
do it. Do it. I don't, I don't need to be going to bloody Rochdale or Hartlepool anymore. No, well, you literally don't have to for, for at least one oh, yeah. season. Good, good point. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Carlisle maybe, Barrow definitely. Just dawned on me that most of the listenership will be listening to this on Monday the 1st of May. So, yeah, happy Miklos Nagy Day to you all. And an apologetic warning as we are recording during the child frenzy hours. So they might be heard in the background. Terry... Lots of Beamish line chat in my intro there, but does anyone beyond me and a few others really care about this? I'm fully aware that you don't need 83, 84 to highlight that this has been a farce of a season, but I still think it's worth comparing to highlight the potential seriousness of the situation because Swindon were only two points better off in 84, 85, and it took real investment and the Lumakari era to t- turn things around. Does this unwanted stat really matter? I don't think the stat matters. I think the context that it puts this season in matters, if that makes sense. I think it helps to accelerate the argument that this isn't okay. And I think there is some serious polarisation going on right now in the fan base. And some of that fan base will, will continually cling to the fact that it's okay. And it's really not. So I think I think I think the the beamish line does more to sort of add context than than anything else. Does it matter if we finish one point above it or one point below, or, or or equal to it, or three points above it? Probably not. The fact that we're even having a conversation about is like you know it's a toss of a coin. Is this the worst fourth tier season of all time, or the second worst fourth tier season of all time? <laughs> I mean, the, the the fact that we're even asking that question should hammer home that this isn't okay and probably someone senior at the club should maybe come out and talk to us about it a little bit Mm, well we'll talk about that a bit later but 58 points is usually 13th or lower I think at the end of 46 games and um, we can still get to 13th if uh, if it doesn't go our way against Crawley but we'll talk about that a bit later let's focus on this blooming game at Gresty Road, or whatever they call it now. Is it Mournflake? It's the Mournflake Stadium, yes. Of course it is. Well, this game was played on Timmy Max Elsnick Day. Lovely chap. Hope he enjoyed his weekend. And that is the last one of those I'm doing, I promise. Uh, town lineup was Brinning Goal, Hutton, Lavinia, Clayton, and Minton coming in for Bruitt. Captain Khan, Kane, and McEachran in the middle. Wakelin and Hepburn on the wings, and Jeff Cott up. Top, Shay, Darcy, Austin and Kaji would appear during the second half of this game. Blah, 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 etc, etc. Necessary rotation due to Tom Bruitt's injury. But Harrison Minton put in another shift. It's been largely recognised by the fans. was a shift that says to me that we really need to work with this guy because there's a genuine chance he can forge an EFL career for himself at the benefit of Swindon Town. But to achieve this, Terry, then we've got to nurture him and provide him with more opportunities in the first team. Basically, more than a lone move to Chippenham or Hereford. Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, on on evidence, would you? Where, where are you putting him, Rich, next season in your ideal makeup of squad? I mean, for me, he's he's ahead of Brewer. Like, but then I'm ahead of Bruitt, so it doesn't say much. Um, I would like to see him and Clayton accompanied by maybe two more senior statesmen. Um, but I think he should be in the mix next season. Um, is he better? Is do you think he's best served next year with a season-long national league loan, 
or fourth choice centre half at Swindon? What do you what do you reckon? It depends on how long his contract extension will be if if he is offered a contract. So it's, it's a sort because... of classic renew it and then send him out. Because <laughs> if we renew it for a year and send him out, then what are we going to get from it? Bar a age related compensation uh, fee at the end. If we give him two years, then I'd be praying that they send him out to the National League yeah. for a year for 46 games and go from there because I don't think the National League North or South really benefits him at all. In terms of right now, I would want him in the 18, not necessarily as the first choice centre-back. I really wouldn't mind Clayton along t- alongside a new experienced a mcdonald what's a mcdonald was supposed to be i would say (laughs) well to be fair to mcdonald rich what mcdonald was like did he do anything wrong sorry 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 did he do anything wrong on the pitch no (laughs) yeah well whatever he did on the pitch was enough to earn him a move to the scottish premier and the new two-year premiership yeah up to the uh, scottish premiership he went um very odd i think there's more to Minturn than some of the centre-backs we've we've brought through the under 18s over the last 10, 15 years, I, I generally think there, there might be a pro footballer in that. But to do that, we can't just go, congratulations, there's a contract extension, and then they just rot away like so many uh, of our recent under-18 graduates have done. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, you know, can, can we do much worse than having him as third or fourth choice? It feels like Clayton, him, and two old-school lumps like feels like a good mix. Um, so yeah, I really hope he's he's in and around it next year, or he signs a three year deal and we get him we get him forty six games in the national league, as you said. Um, to, to me, watching him, he looks the part. If you were a if you were a neutral without context and you watched on Saturday, you would never have pegged him as someone who's playing his, you know, starting his third or fourth league game with with no real sort of experience or or. Um, or, or without a lack of ability of being a, a centre-half at that level. So I think he's more than holding his own. I just, yeah, f- fingers crossed we, we have someone come through and, and become a sort of mainstay of the squad. Why why is he not in two or three years our first-choice centre-half? That's what we all want. So, um, you know, I'd much rather we did that than continually loan, uh, you know, loan, loan centre-halves or, or just sign bloody free agents from Morecambe or Fleetwood or the US third tier away. <laughs> I'm a really big fan of Minturn, but like I said before, I'm a little bit concerned that there's a mild storification of his ability. Let's hope he grows and, and becomes a regular. The funny thing is, Rich, how do you know? How do you know when when we when we as a club are, think miles above, excuse the pun, someone's ability <laughs> as a young player, or actually we've got our hands on something here that you know they can go on? I mean, a club at our level, if you if you have someone who gets to 19, 20, 21 and works your way into the team, that's quite rare these days because genuinely, if they are good enough to play League 2 football at 20, a championship team will buy them at 18. And so, so we're in this weird sort of situation here where if you're still here at 19 or 20, the chances of you making it are super slim. Like, nobody goes under the radar anymore. Like, if... if, if there is way more chance you get a move at 16, 17 and then loaned back to League 2 at 19 or 20 than you just sort of stick with us and make it as a 21-year-old. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely does. Absolutely does. And probably helped by the fact that in 2023, when we've got a gem, and when I say we, I'm talking about all EFL lower league clubs, we're kind of like, get me the email of Brighton. 
because we've got we've yeah, got a we player here like that they need, right? Like we joke about it all <laughs> the time, right? Sal Abu Khan to Brighton immediately. Um, it's not just Brighton. I think Brighton are just it, it uses the punchline in that joke because they are so bloody well run and, and and we're all jealous of what they're doing. But just sort of more generally, like whether it's Brighton or a mid-table championship club or even like you know a big League One club like Reading. But there, there is, there is, um, you know, if you are good enough to make it, make it into our first team at twenty twenty one, you probably would have been picked up at seventeen or eighteen by a bigger club. Mid table League Two fan already getting the boot in on Reading. There, I'd love to see it. <laughs> you got to, you got to take joy. You got to take joy wherever you can these days. Yes, we'll see them in the Papa John's Trophy next season. I'm sure a lot of chat here, not much on the crew game. First half, well, we hit the bar twice in quick succession, Uh, came from a free kick and Wakeling from the follow-up, proper good smack of the bar that was from Wakeling. Yeah, and what a screamer from Kane as well. Jesus, fair play to the boy. When I, I, so, so context, I missed the first 15, 20 minutes of this game. I was racing home from wherever I was, Waitrose or wherever. And uh, I said, I said to you, what, you know, I watched the, the rest of the first half and I said to you, what did I miss? And you said, oh, we hit the bar. So I went back and found it and like, Jesus Christ, did we hit the bar? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, unbelievable delivery, from, for, unbelievable delivery from Kane and Wakeland. I think super unlucky on the follow-up. He couldn't have done much better. And then obviously the ball breaks in McKeck when he dives and we don't get the pen and it all sort of breaks down. But... That was sort of the highlight, really, with the first of certainly certainly the first 35, 40 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's almost as if it was a game between two sides with absolutely nothing to play for. Crew's home form is actually quite good recently, so perhaps we should have been a bit more wary of that. But Town took the lead just before half-time. Hepburn Murphy racing forward, scores fifth league goal of the season. Nice finish, helped by an attempted block from Rod McDonald, which is a deeply satisfying name to say. But talking of satisfying, it was lovely to watch that goal. Yeah, fantastic goal, wasn't it? And um, Rush was definitely our, our big, big bright spark in that first period. Everything everything good we did came from him. I, I think he was probably helped a little bit by uh, Crew's weakness at the, in the left fullback position. Um, from what I gather, they didn't have their first choice fullback playing and then the fellow they did have playing there picked up a knock there was a weird period I think it coincided with when we scored they went to three at the back with Dan Adji as left wing back um so it sort of came as no surprise that all of our threat was coming down that side but take nothing away from Hepburn Murphy I, I he um there aren't many uh spoiler alert for the end of season review there aren't many people coming out of the last eight to ten weeks with much credit, but he's definitely one of them, isn't he? Yeah, to the point where it's hard not to worry <laughs> where thinking about where he'll be next year, contract trigger or not, you know, like I've said previously, we can activate a clause, but that he's still got to want to be here for it to be worth our while. Rich, you, so, don't, you don't need to worry about it. He's signing for Cambridge. So just... <laughs> no, it's MK Dons. He's got MK Dons written all over him to the point where I cannot believe he hasn't played for them already. <laughs> him, uh, Jonathan Lecco, 
and Moisa, supplied by George McEachern. Oh, don't. Let's not bring that. That's just not being <laughs> funny. Second half, I've described simply as ploddy, ploddy, plod, plod. Jody Morris said at halftime they all came in sort of all smiles and, and sort of happy with their first 45s work and he wasn't super keen himself um i don't know if that has a detrimental impact maybe you should just sort of ride the wave of happiness sometimes but it did seem to uh wither in the second half oh, rich what do we do about this team man like it's so <laughs> fresh like the second half was a tough watch wasn't it um one outstanding luke jeffcott charms aside and shout out to tyree shade for his little back heel in the, in the build-up lovely lovely bit of creativity um, it was a non-event until 80 minutes. And do you know what, Rich? Non-events are fine when you're winning. Absolutely fine. I'm, so, I'm sure Stevenage will think the second half Tuesday night was a non-event because it was. Um, but what they did and what many clubs do and what we find absolutely impossible is to get through 45 minutes leading without shitting ourselves. And the... The mental fortitude of this collection of individuals is nothing short of embarrassing. Mm. It's absolutely drastic, isn't it, in terms of how weak they are, how weak-minded they are. It's it's, it's appalling, appalling. Incredible how many times this has happened this season in exactly the same circumstance, really. Like, you know, we're we're comfortable at 1-0 and then... 80th minute clicks in and then suddenly we decide to try and defend it, concede and then lose. It's, it's That's mentality. A million percent. This is completely, completely mentality. It was so, it was so interesting watching this with the away comms as well, because they couldn't get their head around what had happened. It was like, this is a nothing game between two clubs. We've got nothing to play for. Swindon look pretty good. Uh, crew look pretty naff. Clock hits 80. Oh my God, chaos. Chaos, chaos, chaos. Swindon have gone mental. Solbrin's throwing the ball in his own goal. Solbrin is running around like a headless chicken. Like, that That sounds mean. I'm not blaming Solbrin. He's just the most visual example of this. Like, it was utter chaos in the worst, worst, worst possible way. And I've got no idea why this happens. But but it happens enough to know that it's not happening by chance, right? This isn't a freak occurrence. This happens routinely. This collection of individuals, both as players and as staff, have the mental fortitude of a sad trout. It's just gloomy gloomy, weak, weak people. It's really sad to watch. Well, you painted the picture in a in a real vivid way there. Let's talk about the two goals. First one, Lachlan Brooks' tricky long ranger is spilled by Sol Brin and town alumni Connor Thomas pounced uh, onto the rebound to score his first goal for crew. Jody Morris on the, the first crew goal, more disappointed with the static defence with the equaliser than Bryn spilling. Yeah, I mean, I think Jody has been very kind to Sol Bryn there. <sighs> Rich, do you think Sol Bryn's had a good season? I think in large parts, probably yes. I think in terms of Middlesbrough and his career, he's had a fantastic season. In terms of Swindon Town, 
I don't think we'll look back and go, whoa, Sol Brin. We'll probably look back if he progresses, goes upwards, we'll go, oh, just a yet another player that we've had and we didn't get the best out of him. Um, he's been fine. He's probably going to be in the shortlist for the Player of the Year awards, but it's a mid-table League Two team. Do you think that um, Sol Brin is a shoehorn for the over-mythologised number one? Maybe, maybe. I, I, I don't think his legacy is going to be significant. It's, well, it's obviously not going to be like Stephen Bender's because we won stuff with Stephen Bender. But even then, nobody's talking about Bender anymore, are they? It's gone okay. It's gone perfectly for his progression because a year ago he was playing lower league Scottish football and, and non-league on his loan spells. Uh, he showed that he's he can do it in the EFL, which I think you can't argue with. Yeah, I think perhaps you're right. I, I, it'll be fascinating to see what happens with him next year assuming he gets a League One loan move, I think he'll get found out big time at that level. I think he had half a dozen very impressive games for us in the first half of the season. But frankly, since the turn of the new since the turn of the year, it, it it's been poor and that was a that was a bad goal to concede. That was a bad goal to concede. And frankly we could have been even further further behind um after he went AWOL. <laughs> that was so <laughs> peculiar, wasn't it? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, so, yeah, it, it was... I think my biggest my biggest sort of take with Sol Brin is that he makes saves, like, sure, but he's sellotaped to his goal line. And that that plus poor distribution, I think he's an, he's a, he's an OK League 2 goalkeeper and nothing more. And that sounds quite... But but I think that that's basically where he's proving himself to be over the last 10, 12 weeks. I think so, but he's got plenty of time to develop. It's just Absolutely. not a, it's it's not a concern to us because he'll be long gone. And I was I was drafting like the uh end of season awards and, and one came up for like best save and I was like, best save this season. I think I I, I need to, I need to have a conversation with you about the best save category. I um, <laughs> I I hate this category. I've struggled with it for the last three years. Please don't put it in this year. I know, but it always feels bad that we don't uh, we don't acknowledge the goalkeeper's efforts. But uh, <laughs> this year, I'm I'm kind of broadly uh, with you uh, because I can't think. Can I be transparent with you, Rich? I will literally just name a save I can remember. Good, that's what we're looking <laughs> for. If, if it and and if the others do the same, then we've got ourselves a winner. Exactly, exactly. We might get some sort of, <laughs> some sort of coherency. It will be last week, Wimbledon away. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Good, and I look forward to awarding him that. I will not give it to Lewis Ward for something he did in a cup game at the start of the season. I think the big conversation with Sol Brin in terms of Swindon Town's contribution to this is how detrimental was it to Swindon that he didn't have adequate competition? Because that has to play in. That's a really interesting point. I think that's a really, really interesting point. Um, you've been a big, uh, a big fan of the stat. Or, or, sorry, the potential stat that Sol Brin is the first uh, goalkeeper to play every league game since 1853 or something ridiculous. He clearly has zero competition. And does that align with him performing distinctly average since the new year? I, 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 who knows? If you listen to managers and, and, and the cliches they, they sort of regale, they they all want competition in that spot and he hasn't had that. So... You know, could we have got a a three, four, five percent up uplift out of him back in the season? I don't think that's a wild leap, but you know, he's 
far from our biggest problem, I suppose. Uh, well, I think we all knew what was happening uh, when they equalised, and we knew what was going to happen next. Uh, Joel Tabiner uh, won it for Crew with a very good flick effort, which reminded me a little bit of Jake Wakeling's goal at Salford. Jody Morris praised the Crew winner, but um, bemoaned the fact that they shouldn't have got the first contact when there's seven outfield players in the box at the time of that crew winner. Uh, but it's a good finish. It's a great moment for the crew fans, clearly, but just same old, same old for Swindon. Yeah, fair play to, to, fair play to the kid. It's a lovely finish, isn't it? And I don't know. Like, I, I, watching it, I was sort of mildly amused that something ha- like that happened rather than we just petered out to 1-1. So, yeah, fair play to him. It was, it was a lovely goal. And, and it was just sort of, symptomatic of everything else we're going through at the moment, wasn't it, really? Yeah. So full-time then, 2-1 to Crew, And I can say this with my hand firmly on my heart. I was more concerned on Saturday with the fact that I'd not got the washing outside and what turned to be a lovely, warm, sunny day in Bristol than I was Swindon Town throwing it away again. Jody Morris' post-game quotes included, not good enough, really, leggy, lethargic, Travelling up on the day isn't ideal, but not an excuse as everybody is doing it. We could have had a couple more goals in the first half, hitting the bar twice. Disappointed with the first half performance, we looked a bit flat, we lacked a bit of energy. Quality off the ball was there in spells, but few and far between. Second goal would have settled the nerves because we weren't playing that well. Average age of the starting eleven was 22 and shouldn't really be the case. A flat performance so we don't really need to analyze much more of the crew game because I could have just edited together a couple of other episodes and it would have been almost exactly what I was looking for but let's let's play a bit of devil's advocate here because this this upcoming opinion is is based on not really knowing what's the complete picture behind the scenes but I still cannot see worth in sacking Jody Morris right now which a noisy minority, I would say, are pushing. And that's their right. So that's their prerogative. And But I use the recruitment process of both Scott Lindsay and Jody Morris as my main sources. Whether that's fair or not, we can discuss on a later date. But the question, through all that rambling, Terry, is, is Jody Morris getting away with things a wee bit here? I think I'm in the minority here. I don't think he is. I... I, I... <sighs> Think about through through the context which you judge a manager. So, why why does somebody think Jody Jody Morris is doing a bad job? Is that because he's not winning enough games of football? Is it because he's not finishing in where we as fans think we should finish? Okay, so follow that through. Why do we think we should finish where we where we want to finish? And he has to have a solid hierarchy above him a solid hierarchy beneath him and he has to have a budget that, that is, allows us to compete and I'm not convinced he has those things he, I, I, and I'm also not convinced he has the conditions required to be a successful professional sports team like I, I don't see why why is it all on him why, why is it all on him um he hasn't done the recruitment. He doesn't set the budget. He doesn't set the the uh, infrastructure, um, you know, around around travel, around uh, uh, nutrition. 
around players bringing their own lunch to training, around um, gym work, around facilities, around the training ground. Like for Christ's sake, we still train at a what, what is it like a bloody college in the middle of Khan? He he, we have to give him and anyone else. This isn't about Jody Morris. This is about anybody who we expect to come in and be a, a and be an appropriate first team manager of this for this team. We have to give him the conditions to succeed. And I'm sort of, I don't think we've done that. If we have given him everything that he would expect to have to succeed and he fails, then it's on him. My my instinct and my working hypothesis is that I want to dress it up more than this, but I think he's basically being thrown to the wolves. I think he's the stooge. And if you play this through, and I know we're going to come on to Sandro Di Michele and the rumours of his departure shortly, but if you play this through, is there not a sort of cyclical, a cyclical sort of pattern here that, that I think we're seeing where owner slash CEO slash whoever else is involved in the running of the club says, hey, we are competitive. We've got a competitive budget. Thumbs up. Buy your season tickets. We fail. We hang the manager out to dry. We move him on. We move as many players on as possible. And we do it again. So the manager, the, the CEO, the owner, whoever comes out and says, hey, we got it wrong. Uh, season tickets on sale now. We're going to be competitive. But we're not. We're not. So how do you... You have to judge Jody Morris. and You have to judge any football manager through the context of expectation. And I don't mean fan expectation here. I mean expectations set by the board and budget. Genuinely, without any sort of insight at all, hand on heart, on reflection, are our expectations and budget beyond attempting this league at the moment? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, good points. I think if we're to twist the, the discussion a little bit I think what a lot of people that I'm reading are is they, they see it far more black and white they are looking at the fact that Jody Morris has lost 10 of his or 10 of his 18 games or whatever it is and they're looking at what Scott Lindsay achieved in the first half of the season now you know we will talk about this in depth in the season review because we spent a lot of that better period saying this doesn't feel stable and I've said many a times that I think the spiral began under Scott Lindsay and it might have been a reason why he left all for another episode that one but I think people are looking at it in that very very simplistic which is fair enough way and I completely understand because that's how most fans look at a managerial tenure they look at how many games they've lost and they compare to previous and that second half of the season under Jody Morris is is absolutely horrific compared to some of the results and some of the performances that Scott Lindsay managed to get from a very similar squad that is in fairness to Jody Morris without some pretty key people yeah but Rich do we do we lose yesterday with Angus McDonald, Lewis Reed, and Ming Gladwin in the side. No, no, absolutely not. So let's stop comparing the two squads. They are not the same squad. I completely agree. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, we've, we end on a bit of Scott Lindsay stuff uh, because it is quite fun. The fact that our last day, well, last game is against his new side. We'll move on though. More trivial stuff, um, but we'll we'll talk about it. The the football supporter squat that is social media and Twitter got in a tiz over the weekend due to tweets by 
Bianca Austin, wife of one Charlie Austin, seemingly being critical at Swindon Town Football Club. Not proved, though. We'll, we'll discuss again the impact of Charlie Austin in a few episodes' time. But And acknowledging that evidence could be stronger here, I don't think it's outrageous, Terry, to, to suggest that there has probably been something of a breakdown in relations between player and head coach over the last few weeks, which could mean that the Charlie Austin era could end before it ever really got going. <sighs> this was always the risk, Rich, wasn't it? This was always the risk. You bring back Charlie Austin if it goes well, which it looked like for a week or two it might go quite well. Uh, then all hail Clem, all hail Charlie, everyone's happy, it's the second coming, the king, I'm not having that at all, but the king has returned when he scores in one game since the beginning of February and looks like he might struggle to maintain a football league career beyond this season. It starts to sort of unravel quite quite quickly and it was always going to be either brilliant or dismal and the last few weeks have been dismal haven't they and it's a real real shame I think I I think what's lovely is that this absolutely does not impact or change his legacy and that's that's great because I'd hate for that to happen Uh, I don't think anybody blames him for it not working out and I also hope that nobody blames Jody Morris for it not working out. I really, really hope they just go their separate ways in the summer. Uh, Charlie figures out that he's probably not, for whatever reason, for, for whatever reason, capable of of doing a job for us at the moment. And we all just move on. That, that would be lovely. My very, very limited interactions with Charlie seem to be that he seems like a pretty straight up guy. I think Jody Morris is a pretty straight up guy. They've both been around the block. I'm sure that no matter what any Swindon fan thinks of their interactions, I'm sure they've had more than one conversation about this. Actually, you know, mano or mano, so to speak. And um, you know what? They're they're both pretty successful men in football. Just crack on with your own lives and your own careers. I don't <laughs> think it needs to be blown up into some sort of like Jody versus Charlie. Who's going to win? Who are you going to back? More polarisation. Yeah, but it's going to happen, Terry, and you have to embrace that. But Ooh, I, I look which forward... it doesn't have to happen. <laughs> it's it's going to happen, Terry, and I'm 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 looking forward to the end of the season review bit of this because it's 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 bigger than a love triangle. Because if you if you look at the the, the backstory of it, you know you've got. You've got potentially Scott Lindsay resigning as a result of it. You know, it could be a contributing factor. We don't know. You've got Sandro Di Michele unhappy with the transfer. You've got the owner sort of wading in and making the, the, the transfer his symbol of ambition. It doesn't go well. You will look at his stats in 10 years' time and Swindon fans who don't remember the season will go, well, yeah, he came back, scored eight goals in, in 19 games. That's a good return. Oh, he scored four of those in one game and a brace in another. So, okay, well, the, you know, still, and I don't think it does anything to his first spell legacy at all and I want him to be here next season I don't think he will be but I think it's a really interesting conversation because you know because of the of the way he joined uh it's 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 gonna be yeah I'm gonna enjoy that chat so Rich if you're if you're down for the polarization I'm not down for it I just know it's gonna happen (laughs) pick a side pick a side between 
Jody Morris or Charlie Austin here next season? You've got to go with the head coach. You got it right. With a gun to my head, you've got to Guns go. To your head, it's got to be Jody. Um, and that's on the that's on the black and white of what we know. Yeah. You know what what happens behind the scenes? I don't know. In terms of Swindon Town and stability, you've got to go with the head coach. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm, yeah, and that that is firmly gun to head. Let's let's get some listener contributions, and we'll come back and ask the question: Is Sandra Demacady the boogeyman? Well, that's really fired up the home crowd now, and Swindon buzzing here. And because again, rather uncertain with that cross, and the shot almost comes to Mitchell. It's another goal. Oh boy, time for listeners' contributions. Penultimate one of the season. Amazing the amount of contributions we've been getting this year. So thank you to everybody. Starting with Clive Eck, who was at the game yesterday. He says, just made the four minutes past five from crew. Sums up the season, threw it away. No leaders on or off the pitch mr good says why oh why do we effing bother andy mckinley says it is clear and evident for large parts of the season that we were going to come undone with the lack of efl know-how and today has demonstrated that again the positives would be that it is now as clear as ever after today's game and it can now be acknowledged by the club John O'Connell, desperate, add Lewis Ward into the mix and we're down next year. Minton did okay, Kane looks miles off it again, please let it be over and can we get to the sunny friendlies in August. Ollie Baker says, didn't bother after their second goal, just accepted another defeat. Whereas Hampshire Heinze says, soul destroying, each defeat makes me reopen the season ticket renewal dilemma. Last year, only nine home wins. This year, eight so far. Even in the Sheridan season, we won eight at home. On this basis, a £390 season ticket works out at £46 for every win. Value? Moonraker says, totally fed up with this amateur circus. Huge changes in approach to recruitment and on-field matters needed, or the National League beckons. SM4750 says, inexperience all over again. we got to learn how to see out a game from winning positions. Frustrating that we should have been in the playoff mix at least. Sandra DiMichele thought we could get out of League 2 with mainly kids and make some money along the way when we sell. Poor. Sandro out. Rory says, no fighting spirit. Knew as soon as we conceded one, we would concede another. Release Morris and these awful players from their contracts. Paul Temple says, pathetic. Back to normal, I'm afraid. So poor and challenging for second ball. If Jody has this lot next year, he is in serious trouble. Midfield just not up to League 2 level, which exposes the defence. Man of the match, Marcel Lavinier, at least showed some strength. Commiserations for those Swindon Town fans who travelled. Craig says, a characteristic late capitulation feels like a fitting way to finish the away season. Two losses in a week mean that we could still finish in the bottom half of League Two. TJ Meerkat is looking at the Beamish line too, saying looks like we're going to equal our record. Whereas Martin says six-hour round trip to see a bunch of weak-minded players capitulate when a little bit of pressure is thrown their way. Story of the season. 
Most of the players, nowhere near good enough. Can't wait for the season to be done. Craig Clark says, I didn't think it was too bad for 75 minutes. We just fell apart after conceding. Man of the match, Lavinia. Nathan James says, I will be milking this meme for a few days, I imagine. And what's that mean? If you look back to the office and remember David Brent saying, get the guitar. Well, instead he's saying, go and get the table since January picture. No, thank you, Nathan. No, thank you. No, thank you. Taze85 says, the moment they equalised, you knew they'd win it. Pathetic. Doug says, first half looked like the same old average crap we've seen over and over again this season. Slightly better for periods in the second, and then an uncharacteristic slip up from Bryn, and we just fall to pieces. What is going to change to stop this dross next season? Not good. Bernie Man says, nothing new, a meh game, meh performance, and familiar last 15 minutes of the game. Kane and Lavinia were decent first half. Hepburn Murphy tried, and Minton did himself no harm. Apart from that, just meh. So many of this squad could leave, and not many would raise an eyebrow. Kane, man of the match. Batch says, can somebody tell the ref to play 35 in the second half? We can still equal Beamish's record. What a season. Man of the match, take your pick. Kane, subbed. Hepburn Murphy, subbed. Or McEachran, subbed. Only one to go. Thank heavens. Ben says, Tuesday, Stevenage gave us a masterclass in killing the game off in the last 10. We didn't learn a thing, wasted chances, threw it away. More effed off by the result than I should be. Whereas Paul Merriman agrees, he says, agree with Ben. How the hell did we learn nothing from Tuesday night's Town Football Club? Stevenage killed the game today, 1-0 up and cruising to lose 2-1 frustrating, incompetent, and woeful. Things better change in the summer, otherwise exactly the same will happen next season. Paul Hatch says, not a single leader out there. Under 23s mostly only play 40 minutes each way, for goodness sake. Pete Marsh says, deja vu all over again. Man of the match, the team bus driver. At least he could park the bus. And Tommy Butler says, get rid of the bloody lot and start again. Some clarity from the club regarding next season would also be appreciated. Where is Sandro? Graham Ballard simply provides a screenshot from an app that tells us the full-time score of Crew 2, Swindon 1. And the only other update before that is the 80th minute when Dylan Kaji is subbed on at Crew 0, Swindon Town 1. Jason Spacey says... What are you playing at? What are you doing? MTH says, basically, we're shit. And reading a tweet from Austin's missus celebrating our defeat is just firmer demonstration of how rotten things at Swindon Town FC. And finally, Tom Elliott, who says, a game which epitomised the season. Some bright spots and periods of good play until Swindon Town gave up with 20 minutes to go. The lack of leadership and game management are a recurring theme. Jeffcott is improving, but not tall enough. Shade and Kaji are pony. Man of the match, Rashan Hepburn Murphy. There we go then. So we forgot man of the match. Uh, the listeners who did provide some nominations, Jake Kane was in there, Hepburn Murphy was in there. Um, but I think Marcel Lavinia, who we haven't mentioned once, uh, squeezed through by a vote or two. But would you agree? Yes. Yes, I would. There we go. Wonderful. We'll move on. Um, so, Sandro Di Michele, more he needs to go 
sort of rhetoric. Now, there are really, really strong rumours that he has packed up his office and left the county ground. And for whatever reason, uh, they haven't made the announcement or he's still working some notice. I don't know. But the rumours are pretty, pretty strong and the club are very, very quiet. And Dean McKayley has gone from that person who loved appearing on, on fan channels to not being heard of for a long, long time. But the question is to you, as I said before we went to the listeners section, is Sandro the boogeyman and does his exit solve everything? So he he is the boogeyman, but his exit does absolutely not solve everything. So bizarrely, I've been working on a hypothesis over the last sort of 24 hours, Rich, that Sandro Di Michele only has himself to blame. And bizarrely, as a PR man, first and foremost, not a technical director of a football club, he it's his PR that's let him down. It is it's his comms, it's the way he comes across in interviews, it's 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 his quotes that will be will that, that will that will be his um his downfall. Just play this out for a moment. If Ben Chorley was still our uh director of football, de facto head of football, uh de facto head of football, then would we be having this much dialogue about recruitment? I don't think so. I think it's because it's so much was put on Sandro by himself um, that I think he's been hoisted by his own petard. And I come back to my, my point earlier, by which, through which context are you judging him? Are we, do we think we should be finishing higher than 10th or 11th? In League Two, and if you take away the sort of the tub thumping, the tub thumping, what's the word? Sort of um, fan for the one of a better phrase, like element. And and this is me to a heartbeat. Right, like of course we should compete. It's League Two. We get nine thousand through the gate. We should always try and win the league. Yes, completely agree. But if you look at it in terms of corporate management, what was his brief? What's his budget? are we meant to be competing at the top end of this division? And I don't think, and we'll never know because of multiple reasons, but I don't think we have a top seven, top eight budget in this division this year. And spoiler alert, I also don't think we'll have one next year, um, despite the words of our uh, esteemed senior employee. So if we are... If the remit to Sandro is you have the 10th or 11th biggest budget in the league and I'd like you to find players we can sell on at a profit, other than being a bit of a knob in interviews, has he failed? I don't know. I think it's a bigger thing than Sandro. Who has empowered him? Who's given him his remit? What is that remit? How is he judged? What are his metrics? What are his... Let's take, let's take Sandro out of a football club environment and into a corporate management environment. What were his? What were his? Uh, when he goes into his annual performance review, what were his targets for the year? And I, I don't think he's actually failed on most of them. I think he's just failed on get the fans on side through a few nice interviews, which he failed miserably at because it came across as a bit of a knob. I don't think he's done much wrong beyond that. My, I guess my concern. That's my concern. My conspiracy theory hat and you know I, I i get to hear a few noises on the grapevine which which i don't put out there is actual targets versus targets they're telling us the fans yes because yes. that that i think is 
possibly an issue at Swindon Town because we all got in a tiz as a collective early in the season because they weren't saying promotion. Well, maybe that wasn't the goal, but they needed to tell us it because we were getting in a in a tiz and they just dealt with it badly. And we're seeing this again right now, Rich, right? We're seeing this again literally right now in in uh, in the only form of communication we have from anyone at the club, which is notes in the programme, where they absolutely, till they're blue in their face, will tell us we are going to compete again next year. Don't worry, guys. Roll up, roll up. Buy your season tickets. We'll compete. Isn't it funny? Because last year we started the season absolutely fine with the notion that it could be a season of struggle because we'd all agreed, OK, but this is it. If if they would have just kept with the, look, we, we sort of overachieved here. Our budget probably can't do this every year yet. But stick with us because we're going to give it another good bash instead of, well, reluctantly telling us that they were going for for promotion. But Charlie Austin came in and that was seen as the big symbol. But as we said at the time, as a collective, not as low strangers podcasters, but as a fan base, it's all well and good bringing Charlie Austin in. But you haven't got a squad around him. How's he going to score goals? And was this, in in, in fact, to sell shirts instead? Again, a conversation for for another episode, but it's really interesting. It is. And I don't... You cannot judge Sandro Di Michele without the without a the context of expectation, not from fans but by, by but from his employees, and b with the context of he does not operate in a vacuum. He operates under the daily order of Clem Morfuni, Rob Angus, and up until very recently when we admitted that he might not be able to be vice chairman. Zab As if he's match day only. As if. Um, um, excuse me, he is a friend of the owner. He's not. <laughs> oh dear. Let's just move quickly away from this before we get knocks on the door. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that leads us quite nicely to to the next question, um, as highlighted by just a couple of the uh, listeners there. The club have been generally pretty quiet since the CGJV and the season ticket announcement. When I say announcement, I mean the costs. In fairness, Clem Mulfuni has always planned to be a backseat owner when it comes to front-facing once the dust of the takeover settled. And I guess that's what we're seeing. But if we were heading for promotion right now, would Clem Mulfuni be in the background even though the takeover and the ground purchase is over? Would he be... Having, you know, would he be having drinks within the security of the Australia branch of the Swindon Town Supporters Club in Australia, or would he be on the pitch taking a lap of honour? I think ownership goes both ways. Rough with the smooth. That said, I don't really know what he could say right now, which would make the majority go brilliant onwards and upwards. But it has across. Swindon Town, they've put the shutters down again a wee bit, haven't they? Oh, massively, Rich, massively. I think, um, you know, you said you said, you said Clem's in the back seat and, and we always expected that post-ownership. I think when, when he when he got in the back seat, he uh, very much positioned Zav Austin as the driver while he wasn't there. The problem is Zav Austin didn't have his driving licence and they may or may not have applied for one at any point. And by the way, if they did apply for one, he was legally banned from getting one. So he couldn't get one. Are you still following this? But honestly, God, we didn't even apply for one in the first place. Don't know what we're on about. Um, so who is in the driving seat? It's a vacuum. It's a complete vacuum of knowledge, experience, communication, loyalty, passion. It's zero. There is zero. Clem has disappeared off the face of the earth. 
the Federer put in charge to run the club on a day-to-day basis, in his words, isn't allowed to. And we all knew that all along, apparently. Um, and here we are. Here we are. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's a it's a vacuum, and um, the second job of vacuum, it's filled by rumors. It's filled by rumors and noise and moaning and hypotheses and podcasts by disgruntled people. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird because you know I've I've heard rumors that there's been a real surge in in season ticket sales over the last few days, and and ha- ha- if they announce that instead of waiting for advisory board minutes that might really might really sort of settle some nerves i'm not saying that there's been like crazy sales but i I don't think it's anywhere near the 1100 anymore from what i've heard but they're just choosing not to talk about it it's so weird that amongst other things of course yes and also the deadline for the early bird um was passing this weekend and then they um, magically extended it bizarrely out of nowhere for a month, despite no one talking about it for quite a while. And Rich, you were saying you were, you know, on Tuesday night at the Avenger Home, there wasn't a single mention anywhere of of renewals. They just is anyone trying? Like is this a thing? Is there a yeah. is there a is there a marketing campaign? Is there a strategy? Is there a plan? Like is anybody there? I, I guess my 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 example and, and I know like budgets always differ, but I live in Bristol. And you can turn a corner in in South Bristol without either seeing Bristol City season tickets being advertised on buses or at bus stops or on on big screens. And I imagine if you go north of the river, the same would be for Bristol Rovers. Around the county ground site where there are advertising banners on the county ground, it's all for the partners and not for the fans. I mean, like like we've said already, begging people to buy season tickets doesn't belong in the program notes because that's you know those are read by the people buying tickets it needs to go beyond it needs to stay in the thoughts of people that are umming and ahhing and waiting for the deadline of the of the early bird it's that feeling and it is a feeling of just they'll buy them they'll buy them we don't need to do they'll they'll come back and it's just they're lucky that many fans do. Yeah, it's a shell of a football club run by a staff roster akin to a bottom end national league club. Until that changes, this is where we are. I, I saw I saw a conversation between two accounts on Twitter where somebody was bemoaning the, the lack of noise with season ticket sales from the club, and someone replied, "Well, I've got mine, so if I've got mine, what does it matter if?" Um, Which I thought was like a so you can you can say wind your neck in your silly troll account or whatever, but to to reply defending the club by saying well I've bought mine so what's the big deal? <laughs> Rich, how how can you have a professional sports club that has ten thousand fans, you know, five thousand season ticket holders, and a completely disconnected marketing plan? For their biggest revenue operate the revenue generating tool of the season, uh, it's, it, it's insane. I, I saw somebody suggest today we're ten to twelve people short in the back office of this club, and that feels about right. It's shortcuts, cost cutting, every single day in every single department, and on the pitch is a manifestation of that, and it will continue to be that way until something materially changes that that's pretty bad isn't it that sort of 
shortfall of staff is is bad and any club will will struggle for that but to defend the club on that instead of asking the questions why but if you ask why rich then then you're not a real fan and you should you should you should offer to help i know i know i know okay well um scott lindsay's crawley come to town in a week's time as we welcome back the man who told BBC Radio Surrey this weekend. They've been fantastic. And I know, you know, I don't want to kind of speak about this, but I had a bit of a hard time with my last job. Fans never bought into me for whatever reason. Um, and even when I come into this job, a lot of the fans from that club kind of connected with these fans saying, oh, good luck with him, you know. Yeah. Um, but they took no notice. And I'm pleased they haven't because they've been fantastic. I absolutely adore everyone. Quite something, really, from somebody who made a very, very clear point as Swindon head coach that he never looked on social media. So imagine fretting what Town Addict 1969 um, said to Crawley fans. Um, in, in the long term, Scott Lindsay's legacy will be akin to Ken Beamish, who went decades without being in the conversation <laughs> at all with Swindon Town fans. There isn't going to be a what if uh, with Scott Lindsay had he stayed and... This is a head coach that operates solely on positive vibes. If it's going well, then he's having a great time. But when the going got moderately tough at Swindon, he took a job elsewhere. And I'm not buying into the notion that he was hounded out by Swindon fans simply because I didn't hear enough of that in the ground bar Sutton at home when he firmly put the town end in their place by bringing on Wakelin against Sutton and changing the game. And I don't buy that he was close to getting sacked because if Morfuni was going to pull the trigger then, well, it wouldn't have taken so long to replace him. Again, we'll talk about this at the end of season review, but Terry, given how petty this industry can be, is this game more important than we let on, given the fact that it's Lindsay's return and he clearly isn't a fan of the Swindon Town fan base and maybe um, how he was treated at Swindon within? Plus, he also bailed on us. Um, so Swindon have an argument to feel grieved too. Is there is there grounds for this not being a dead rubber next week? No. <laughs> Agreed. Scott Lindsay is the spot on the arse of Swindon Town Football Club. Uh, I have no time for him. He is about as memorable as Ken Beamish, as you pointed out. Yes, exactly. Well, I feel like I could already congratulate Scott Lindsay on what would no doubt be a very satisfying return to the county ground for him, Gladwin, Conroy, if he's fit, and Anthony Grant. But we'll leave it. At that, Terry, good stuff. Thank you very much. Nice one, mate. Appreciate that. The Lone Strangers is an independent supporters podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club or their official partners. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford, and the podcast artwork was designed by Matt in Singapore. What a guy. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Has that bubble? Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.